Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Happiness Headspace podcast. My name is Chloe Johal and I'm the host of this podcast. In today's episode, we have Doug Noel as a guest here with us. Um, he is an award-winning author, speaker, and trainer. After 22 years as a trial lawyer, he became a peacemaker and mediator. Today, he helps people solve deep and intractable conflicts and teaches others to do what he does. He is an adjunct professor of law at the Pepperdine School of Law, Strauss Institute, where he teaches decision-making under uncertainty conflict he is the co-founder of the award-winning prison of peace project in which he teaches murderers in maximum security prisons to be peacemakers and mediators he has trained mediators and leaders in europe the middle east and asia in his innovative peacemaking and mediation processes he has personally mediated over 1500 disputes including sexual abuse cases in the catholic church and criminal victim offender cases his honors include California Lawyer Magazine Attorney of the Year, a Purpose Prize Fellow, and Best Lawyers of America Lawyer of the Year. He has written four books, his latest release on September 12, 2017, entitled De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. He is the creator of online video courses in legal negotiation and emotional de-escalation and has conducted dozens of webinars. His video offerings on YouTube have garnered over 87,000 views. On a personal note, he is a jazz violinist, aircraft and helicopter pilot, ski instructor, second degree black belt, tai chi master, and whitewater rafter. He lives with his wife, Alea Dao, in the foothills of the central Sierra Nevada, south of Yosemite National Park. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Happiness Headspace podcast. Today I have Doug Knoll here with us, so would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, Chloe, well I'm a lawyer turned peacemaker. Um, I was a trial lawyer for 22 years and Went back to school mid-career, earned my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies, quit the practice of law in 2000, walked away from $10 million, and became a peacemaker. And my calling today, over 22 years later, puts me in all kinds of really interesting places and situations. And I'm very blessed to live the life that I live. That's very inspiring. And um, I heard about your project that you do. So the Prison Peace Project. Can you tell us about what that is? Yes. And in 2010, in response to a woman serving a life sentence in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world here in Central California, uh, my colleague Laurel Coffer and I began training 15 women all serving life sentences to become powerful peacemakers and mediators. And we developed a, a really unique curriculum. We're both teach at Pepperdine University School of Law. And we developed a very unique curriculum designed to take people who are incarcerated and have no skills to becoming complete powerful mediators to stop prison violence. And the program has been enormously successful. We're in 30 prisons around the world right now. And we expect that to quadruple in the next 18 months because during the pandemic, we filmed our curriculum. So Prison of Peace is now available, will become available to anybody who wants to start a Prison of Peace project in their local institutions. Here in California, we operate, currently operate in 15 different prisons. Uh, and of the, we, we've had over 6,000 of our students released on parole over the last 22 years, or uh, it's be the last 13 years. Not one of them has reoffended. So our program wow. works. 
That's incredible. That's amazing. And what inspired you to start this project and to go kind of it all in like change career paths to something more like this? Well, I it was a it was a, a, a combination of a number of factors that led me into peacemaking from being a, a hardcore trial lawyer. <laughs> and it was a, partly a spiritual journey. And partly uh, a lot of dissatisfaction as a very, I was a very successful, but a lot of dissatisfaction practicing law. And ultimately, uh, my partners and I could not agree on what my new practice would look like. And I basically gave them a week's notice and walked out. Wow. And um so let's talk about your book. So your book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Um, so how exactly do you do that? Well, the secret to calming any person in 90 seconds or less requires you to change your view of human nature. Most people or many people are taught that what separates humans from other animals is rationality. We are rational beings. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is a myth that's been perpetrated for 4,000 years by philosophers and theologians without any scientific backing whatsoever. What we've learned in the last 20 years with the advent of neuroscience and neuroscientific study techniques is that humans are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. What that means is that when you have First of all, conflict is all emotional. Anger is, angry people are all emotional. Mm -hmm. And you cannot solve an emotional problem with logic. Right. You cannot solve an emotional problem with rationality. How many times, Chloe, have you gotten mad and somebody comes to you and say, well, Chloe, if you just look at this logically, you'd see that you just got to do this, this, and this, this. And what is yeah, it? Yeah, that's not what you want to hear at all when you're uh, upset. Exactly right. All it does is make you even angrier. Mm -hmm. And yet, that's what most people do. Well, it turns out that there is, our brains are hardwired in a very specific, particular way. So that when I tell you what you're feeling, this is a technique called affect labeling. When I tell you what you're feeling when you are really upset, it calms the emotional centers of your brain and it reactivates the right, right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is your executive function. In other words, it turns down the emotions and turns up your thinking part of your brain. And you literally can calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. It doesn't matter what culture they're in. It doesn't matter how mad they are. It doesn't matter about what language they speak because it all happens unconsciously. And it works like this. The way I teach it is three steps. One, ignore the words of that angry person. Two, read their emotions. They're angry. It's pretty obvious that they're angry, but there are going to be five or six other emotions underneath that you've got to reflect as well. And then the third step is to reflect back the emotions with a you statement. We never use an I statement when we're reflecting. It's always a you statement. So that old Thomas Gordon active listening stuff doesn't work won't work, never has worked. All it does is make things worse. Same thing with Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication. Doesn't work, hasn't worked, will not work to de-escalate angry people. 
So, when was the last time you were angry, Chloe? Uh, this morning, I got angry at my brother because he was taking too long to get ready to get to school. All right. So, Chloe, this morning, you were really pissed off. Mm -hmm. You were really frustrated. And you had an agenda and a time you had to meet. And you, your brother was taking too much time. And you felt really disrespected. You felt unappreciated. You felt unsupported. And you felt ignored by your brother. And, and that really made you angry and also you were very worried and concerned because you were on a deadline and you had to get stuff done and your brother was getting in the way of doing that and you felt that he was completely ignoring you and, and being very selfish and it was that was frustrating and you felt sad because he's your brother and he should be paying attention to you a little more and being looking out for your concerns rather than looking out for his own concerns and in that moment you felt completely abandoned and unloved by your brother. Wow. <laughs> Every single emotion. Yeah, and so how do you feel now? A lot better. I feel very understood. I feel a lot calmer. Right. That's exactly how it's done right there. It's it really is. Yeah, you're right. It's making someone feel understood and absolutely and um is that what you mean when you say to listen others into existence what did you just experience chloe someone listening <laughs> into existence that's right it makes you feel really good doesn't it of course it does of course and um you talk about our hidden genius what is it and why is it hidden our our hidden genius are our emotions and it's mm -hmm. hidden because we're never taught how to develop emotional mastery has anybody in your family taught you anything about emotions? No. Of course not. Have you learned anything about emotions in school? No. Not really. Emotions are completely ignored by our parents, our families, our educators. Everybody is all emphasizing rationality, which does. there's no such thing as rationality. That's all a big myth, too. Um, and here we are, emotional beings, the most emotional the most important component of what it means to be human. And we're not taught how to be emotionally competent. We're taught, in fact, that emotions are bad. Emotions make us weak. Emotions be vulnerable. We have to be, we have to be stoic. We have to be strong, independent. You know, emotions are irrational. Emotions are bad, bad to be emotional. Right? Are those things you've mm -hmm. heard before? Yeah, they're all things that have been taught to me. That's right. And it's all wrong. Mm-hmm. And so our hidden genius is the ability to experience and be aware of our emotions and use our emotions powerfully to influence other people to, and to guide our own conduct and to, be, uh, to create emotional safety around us. When you create emotional safety around you, everybody wants to be with you because many, many, many people, especially young people like you, have not grown up emotionally safe. And you crave what you crave more than anything else is to be emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. If you can learn how to unlock the hidden genius of your emotions and create that emotional safety for yourself, you never get anxious. You always know what to say. You have utter confidence in every situation. You become a leader. Everybody wants to follow. And your life is nothing but, but happiness and joy. Fights and arguments in your life and forever. You never have them again. All mm -hmm. because you've learned how to master your emotions 
And so this is the hidden genius that we all have that's completely ignored. And in fact, there are many families that think they're, they have to teach their kids to be tough and say, suck it up. Don't cry. Don't be a girly girl. Put on your big girl panties, right? Mm-hmm. Totally wrong. Very mm-hmm. abusive. Extremely abusive. And we can yeah. just we can just see it and looking at teens and how the, how many teens are troubled right now and they they have extremely difficult time coping in their world because fundamentally they're emotionally unsafe they don't feel like anybody's listening to them they feel completely ignored and then as that progresses they become depressed and then suicidal and then go to drug use and addiction and behaviors that are that are dangerous and risky and you just see it all the time. Absolutely. And that's why I started this podcast to help teenagers who are going through things like that. And again, who have trouble with anger management and trouble with mastering their emotions, like you're saying. So um, that's great information and definitely something that all our listeners can put to use. Um, I also have another question. So um, how I have a very hard time with this, with having conversations with people who have different views than me, different opinions. How would you say we can have um, like a calm and a good conversation with someone who has different, let's say, political views than us or something of the sorts? Cultural views, for example. Exactly. So first of all, master this listening skill. Listen, learn how to listen to emotions. That's mm-hmm. the first step. And then if you're going to have a calm conversation with somebody who is has very radically different views. Maybe it's cultural views. Maybe it's the views around sexual orientation or abortion or politics. I mean, think of all the gun control, all the different divisive issues that are out there today. Mm-hmm. You, you, you learn to ask questions and not give any responses. So the, and you want the other person to do the talking. So I would ask you a question, Chloe, something like, well, Chloe, you have a <coughs> belief in X, Tell me what happened in your life that caused you to create this belief that you have today. So Mm -hmm. I want them to tell me a life story of how that value or belief was created inside themselves. And you'll learn some pretty amazing things when people tell you the story. Notice that I'm not judging. Mm -hmm. I'm not criticizing. I'm not. I'm, I'm taking no position on their beliefs at all. I'm just interested in how did they form that belief. The second question is, how does your belief or value help you in your everyday life? Hmm. Most people have never asked that question. And most people have never been asked. They just have these beliefs and they don't know where they come from. And they never think about how, how their beliefs either help them or get in the way of their everyday life. So he said, well, tell me how your beliefs help you. How do they serve you in your everyday life? And and the third question is, what do you do with people who have different beliefs than you? How do you handle that? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth question is, well, how do you think our society should be organized when we have all these people with all these different beliefs and many of them contradict each other and people are getting riled up about all these different beliefs how should we organize ourselves to manage all of these different beliefs and that's an interesting one 
yeah, yeah to go but, more to the deeply rooted and that people start thinking about well yeah it's a great question how do we manage our society and why don't we think our society is working right now but the more people think about it they realize well wait a minute our society really is working pretty well we're all able to have these radically different beliefs and still coexist so maybe what we ought to do is foster the conditions under which different beliefs can be held and even honored and respected so when you ask those four questions and you give people time to respond and then you reflect back their emotional experience as they're telling your stories you will find out that you have far more in common with somebody who apparently has different beliefs than you do mm -hmm. than you have that are different mm -hmm. and what what people then realize is that we are being divided not by our beliefs or values we're being divided by politicians who want to corral us into tr separate tribes where they can take our money and hopefully get our vote and hopefully build a power base and the way to do that is through fear and anger and tribalism mm -hmm and competition as opposed to leaders who would be more enlightened that would bring us together and teach us how to cooperate and collaborate despite our views and have civil polite calm conversations about different beliefs and values that might contradict each other and how do we reconcile all of that and what do we do about that you know i don't the way i vote these days I only vote for the politician that leads me to the light. Mm -hmm. I will never vote for a politician who leads me into darkness. And I think that's a great standard. And so it doesn't matter what their political stance is. If they can lead you to the light, then that's the person you want to follow. If they lead you into darkness, they lead you into violence, they lead you into hatred, they lead you into um, stereotyping people who are different than you, that's not the leader we should be following. We should reject those leaders out of hand. Leaders who reject our democratic principles, they're leading us into darkness, not into light. Absolutely. And um, you touched on this a little bit, but what would you say are some important um, qualities to have as a leader? Well, I think the most important quality for a leader is the ability to listen and mm -hmm. listen to emotions, not just words. Leaders need to be good decision makers. They need to understand the three basic decision-making processes and when each decision-making process or procedure is useful. And that would be the autocratic decision-making where one person makes the decision, democratic, where the majority makes the decision and consensus-based decision-making. And that's where the group, nobody has a principled objection. Everybody's had an opportunity to talk about the decision and nobody has a principled objection. There may be people who don't like the decision, but unless they can state a principled objection, the, the, the decision stands. Mm -hmm. Most people get consensus decision-making wrong. They think it's gotta be unanimous and that's, that's just not true. It comes down to principled, uh, principled objections. So you've gotta be able to listen. You've gotta be able to make good guide groups to good, good decisions. You've gotta create psychological safety for your group, emotional safety. You've got to be focused and disciplined, and you've got to be able to look over the horizon to lead the group to a, to a desired outcome. 
you've got to be able to take your group and focus them on the specific tasks that need to be performed in order for the, the group to reach its goals. Um, you've got to be able to manage conflict. You've got to be a peacemaker and a mediator because all groups have conflict. So, the, so those are some of the attributes of a great leader. And unfortunately, there are not many people that demonstrate these attributes. Mm -hmm. And I'm 16 years old. What's something that you would tell someone my age or someone that's a part of Gen Z to become a powerful leader in the future? I would learn, I would encourage you and your peers to learn how to listen. I would encourage you to develop, spend as much time as you can developing your emotional competence. Learn how to be emotionally self-aware. Learn how to emotionally self-regulate yourselves. The more you practice this skill of affect labeling, the faster you develop your emotional competency. And as you start developing this skill, wonderful things happen to you. You start becoming more confident. You don't worry about what people think about you. You don't worry about what your body looks like, what people think about your body or your hair or any of these external externalities that don't mean anything except when you're a teenager, they're the most important things in the world. But as soon as you start learning to listen to emotions and pay attention to people, it really doesn't matter what you look like or what they look like or what clothes you wear, or what music you listen to or what other people listen to. That's It, it all becomes irrelevant. People... When you're a teenager, you get into this stuff because you're trying to form identities, and those identities are false identities perpetrated on you by society and culture. When you start learning who people really are and who you really are as a human being, all of that stuff drops away and you don't need it anymore. And you live a much calmer, peaceful, more productive, creative life with true friends, as opposed to the kind of craziness that most young people have to deal with today. Mm -hmm. And um, how would you say, like, what do you think, how could I become more emotionally competent? Like, how do I, like, or emotionally intelligent? Like, what would be, like, the first step to take? Like, how do I become good at listening? Or how, like, what's, like, some concrete, um, like, action that I can take for that? So I want you to learn how to listen to emotions. Just like I described when you were you were angry at your brother this mm -hmm. morning, and I I want you to do this in a really safe place. So, do you go to Starbucks at all? Yes, I do. I was there okay. yesterday. All right. So next time you go into Starbucks and you're going to order up a coffee or whatever you order up, look the barista who's taking your order. Look at look at him or her in the eye, and just tell them that say you look really happy today. You're really happy. And then watch what happens. And you just listen to that person into existence. And that person sits there all morning long in the ship, taking money from people. Nobody ever acknowledges their existence. Nobody ever listens to them. And you took 10 seconds to say you're really happy this morning, just acknowledging who they are and what their emotion is. And you just listen to that person into existence and they will start to smile and say, yes, I am. Thank you very much. And all of a sudden you'll feel good inside yourself because you just did something really nice for somebody else. 
do it again the next day. Do it again the next day. The next time you go to the market and you're checking out, look at the checker and read their emotions. They tend to be more tired and negative. So you can say you're, you're tired today. You're, an, you're anxious. Or you're happy because you're getting off shift pretty soon. Whatever it might be, just one thing. Again, watch what happens. What do they say? How do they react? Do they smile? Do they, do, do, does it look like they've just been acknowledged by you? And if you do this every single day for three weeks, you'll start to see a shift in your, inside yourself. Then you can start with friends. You know, one, maybe one of your girlfriends say, you look really sad today. You look really anxious. That's all you say, nothing else. And watch what happens. And just learn how to label people's emotions in a very simple, safe, direct way. And over a period of four to six weeks, if you do this every single day, you'll completely change who you are as a human being. It's that powerful. I mean, I I've, trained murderers, I've trained murderers to be peacemakers, right? This is what we teach them. Mm -hmm. Right out of the gate, this is what we teach them. And there's proof that it's worked, so... It works. Yeah. And you it, felt yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. I'll definitely start um, applying that into my life. And for my last question, I want to ask you if there's any advice, your greatest advice that you can give someone my age, what would it be? Get a really good education. I know there are a lot of young people who don't see the value of college. Though you don't see, boy, this is really expensive. It's four years out of my life. I really don't want to do that biggest mistake you can make college is not about learning how college is not about learning a trade you can go to college and study psychology but that doesn't mean you, you're going to become a psychologist college is learning how to think and we need people that know how to think we've got too many people that don't know how to think and they're really screwing things up especially mm -hmm. in politics we need young people like you to work hard, get into college, and get a good, solid college education. And then from there, you can do whatever you want. You can go to graduate school if you want. You can go to professional school like law or medicine. You can get a master's degree, or you can just go to work and start working. But without a college degree, you don't know how to think. Mm -hmm. You think you know how to think, but you do not know how to think. And you need that college education to teach you how to think. And that's the most important thing that young people should be focusing on. And it's scary because there are a lot of young people who are not interested in college. Maybe they're distracted by gaming. Maybe they're distracted by what's going on on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> there are many, 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 many distractions out there that are entertaining and fun and light that take away from the ability to think. And you have to have the discipline to ignore all of that social media stuff Ignore all the stuff that is sort of mind candy because that's designed to be that. that, that those programs are there to design to keep the young mind engaged on the telephone, on the phone, on the app, as opposed to studying in the textbook. They're designed for that. They're designed to be addictive. And you just have to recognize that social media is just as addictive as heroin or crack cocaine, probably worse. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn that. And you have to wean yourself away from all of that. 
Mm-hmm. And then and then and then and get your education. You have to develop your emotional mastery. You have to develop yourself as well as your as your, your mind. You do those two things, and in ten years, you will have beginning the beginning of a really amazing life. Absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure our listeners learned so much from you. And if anyone's interested in going and checking out um, everything that Doug has done, it's all going to be in the show notes. Um, So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Great being here. Have an excellent rest of your day. 